So we come to the conclusion of this beloved story, Noah's Ark. The dove has returned with the olive branch. The flood has come and gone. The waters have receded and the 40 days and the 40 nights have concluded. The ark uh, that Noah has built by hand now rests on dry ground. And God has invited Noah and his family to disembark. And God has blessed Noah and his family to be fruitful and multiply. Through Noah and his descendants and through the animals preserved on the ark, creation will be replenished again with life and thriving. What a satisfying conclusion to this calamitous event in Genesis. Having sailed off into stormy seas and left every living thing behind him and underwater, and now to find a new creation waiting for him and his family now must be a moment of an incredible joy for Noah. But this is not how the story of Noah's ark ends. God has yet another sign to disclose and another promise to make. So, as Noah and his family are getting reacquainted with dry ground, God gathers them and begins to speak. Gives a little sermon, if you will. As for me, God says, I am establishing my covenant with you. This is the first that we hear of the word covenant in Scripture. And there's hardly a bigger word in all of the Bible. So I want to, before I proceed, to, to be clear about what a covenant is. The most simple definition I can think of of a covenant is a binding promise. Later, God will show just how binding a promise it is when he directs Abram before his name changes to slice animals in half lengthwise and create a path, one on each side, and walk through the path to make the promise. It sounds archaic to modern people, but there's a timeless sense about it. To cut a covenant with someone is to make a promise on the grounds of life and death. A covenant is a binding, lifetime, matter-of-life-and-death promise. So, Definition's clear. Now let's return to the scene outside the ark and listen to the rest of God's speech. God says, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants and with every living creature that is with you. I establish my covenant with you and never again shall all flesh be cut off by waters of a flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now, there in the text is a curious pause right between this verse and the next. And I think I know why. I believe God pauses right here in the middle of His sermon because upon hearing God's promise never to flood the earth again, Noah faints. Noah passes out, and it takes a minute for us. They're all standing close together, so they kind of catch him before he hits the ground, and they're kind of lifting him back up, and he's coming to. To be sure, I can't prove this happened, but you can't prove it didn't. <laughs> yeah. 
And the scholarship on this curious pause between the verses is in my favor. Thank you very much. Why does Noah faint in the middle of God's speech? I believe it's because the full significance of God's promise hits Noah first. Noah knows better than anyone that from time immemorial God has been in the business of blotting out wicked humanity and cursing the ground because of them. Noah has long known of God's reputation for taking aim at human beings and even the earth itself when human beings do wrong. There's a long-standing pattern in Noah's conversations with God of, of, of God, uh, human beings missing the mark and God promising to wipe them out as a result of their wickedness. Repeatedly across the early chapters of Genesis, we hear God's internal monologue go something like this. The Lord saw the wickedness of humankind was great on the earth, and so the Lord was sorry that he made humankind. So the Lord said, I will blot them out. Then a little later, uh, God says it out loud to Noah. Since earth was the earth was corrupt in God's sight, I have decided to make an end to all flesh. I'm going to destroy it all. Then again, a bit later, and every th living thing I have made, God says, I will blot out from the face of the ground. So this is why I believe Noah has a fainting spell in the middle of God's sermon. Noah has just heard God articulate a change of mind and heart. Noah is overwhelmed to hear God change God's mind. We, the readers, are not as, quite as surprised as Noah in the previous chapter. We're, we're given a little inside view into God's dreaming and thinking, God's internal monologue again, how God's thoughts are changing. We hear God whisper in the previous chapter, never again will I do anything like this. But Noah doesn't hear the whisper. Noah has to wait to hear God say it aloud. And when he does, it takes him a minute to gather himself. Now, once Noah is composed and standing upright again, God doubles down with a sign. This is the sign of the covenant between us and every living creature. I have set my bow in the clouds. When I was learning Hebrew, I remember how crestfallen I was when the professor said, now the bow in the clouds wasn't really a rainbow. It was actually a bow from a bow and arrow. Oh, man. Don't do that to me. Don't take my rainbow away. It's a rainbow. I learned this as a kid. It's a rainbow. God put a rainbow up in the sky. I see them. I still see them. Don't. Anyhow. Uh, <clears throat> the truth is, it's kind of both. Uh, the sign God reveals to Noah can be interpreted either way. A rainbow or a weapon. It is delightful, though, isn't it, and comforting 
to watch a thunderstorm pass across the evening sky and leave a rainbow in its wake. The story of Noah's Ark is close to our hearts as we cherish these fleeting moments. How stunning they are and how charming, how completely beautiful is the enchanting sign of God's promise that gets the last word all over all the storms of our lives. But we may also pause to take seriously the bow as a weapon. One scholar notes that though this sign is a battle weapon, it is nevertheless an undrawn bow. It is a bow at rest. The bow in the clouds is a sign of ceasefire, a sign that God has forsaken weapons and ammunition and all this business of blotting, a sign that God's posture towards humankind and all flesh and even the earth itself will no longer be set against us in retribution, but set towards us in an ever-widening embrace. The bow in the clouds is a sword made into a plowshare, a spear made into a pruning hook. The bow in the clouds is a sign that no matter what wickedness human beings contrive from now on, God will not blot us out. God will no longer resolve to extinguish us when we break the covenant. Write it on your hearts, people, at the beginning of this season of Lent. God resolves to love us only even more powerfully through our fallenness. But wait, haven't there been great and terrible things to happen since God hung the bow in the clouds? What about all the terrible suffering in the world? Wars and rumors of wars, natural disasters, violence, hunger, and now climate change? Has God since broken God's promise not to blot out humanity? Forty years ago, the great preacher William Sloan Coffin's son, Alex, died in a car accident late on a stormy night. The next night after Alex died, Coffin was at his sister's house outside of Boston and receiving friends when a a woman, he said, came in He said, carrying about 18 quiches, that's his words, came into the house and uh, as she made her way to the kitchen, caught his eye and looked over her shoulder and shook her her head and just said under her breath, "Uh, I just don't understand the will of God. To which Coffin quickly hopped up from his chair and was all over the woman. I sure tell you, you don't. It bothered him so that when he returned to the pulpit ten days later to deliver one of the most poignant American sermons ever preached, he said, Nothing so infuriates me as the incapacity of seemingly intelligent people to get it through their heads that God doesn't go around the world with his finger on triggers, his fists around knives, and his hands on steering wheels. God is dead set against all unnatural deaths. I want you to know 
God's love powers through our sins and our suffering, our tragedies and our travails to mend our broken hearts and broken promises. God and not humankind has established this covenant. God and not humankind has made this everlasting promise. We need look only to the clouds by the passing storms for the arching prism of sun on mist on sky to know we are not God's forsaken, but God's first love. So here we are in the earliest chapters of Scripture. It is only Genesis chapter 8 when God makes this promise, establishes this covenant, draws the bow in the clouds. Do not forget, though, that Revelation chapter 10, John, the revelator, sees an angel coming out of heaven and what is around his head but a rainbow. God's promise from everlasting to everlasting. And I want to know if you might even see a rainbow along with me when you look to the Gospel of John and you hear Jesus' words when He said, I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to Myself. The covenant established, expanding, growing, speeding up. Look then. All of us, to the sky and beyond the sky, to the stars and beyond the stars, to the rest of the galaxy, beyond our solar system, beyond Gargantua, beyond Orion, beyond the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper, to stars uncharted and to the outermost reaches of the universe, which still expands with greater and greater speed. Why? How? To keep up with God's ever-expanding love. God's love. I look to see the bow and all the mystery of God surrounding it. My heart swells. I cannot conceive of its power. I'm feeling faint. 